I noted with the kids, we are starting a new sermon series this morning. It's called In Need of a Shepherd, and we are going to be um, learning a verse together. It's Matthew 9, verse 36. We're going to be saying it together as uh, a congregation before every uh, sermon. The words will be up on the screen, but hopefully through the repetition, we'll all be learning it together. And so I would invite you to join me as we say together Matthew 9, verse 36. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. So we're going to be in Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, following the Sermon on the Mount, which is Matthew 5 through 7. We're going to start in uh, chapter 8 this morning, and we're going to go all the way through to chapter 20 uh, on the Sunday morning of Labor Day weekend. And so we're going to be kind of doing everything in between sort of the bookends of the Gospel of Matthew. And I'm going to sort of put my cards with this series on uh, the table right away, and that is that at the end of this, I hope we have come away with two things. One of them is that I hope we find ourselves in deeper love with Jesus, our Good Shepherd. After seeing how he interacts with all kinds of people, the way he interacts with the crowds, the religious leaders, and those who are helpless and harassed, I hope we find uh, a Savior who is more lovely and worthy of worship. And the second hope is that we are challenged to see the crowds in our world the way Jesus saw the crowds in his. In a world where we are encouraged to see each other as enemies and at opposite ends of the spectrum, where there are constantly only winners and losers. When Jesus looked on the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless. And if we're honest, I think all of us have either been harassed or are and have been helpless or are. And so if that's how Jesus sees us, perhaps that's how we can see each other. Let's pray. Gracious God, as we begin a new series this morning, our hope, our desperate hope, is that we would fall more in love with your Son, because of his great love for us. And that we somehow, by the power of your spirit, would be able to see the world as you see it, with compassion. You know our hearts, and so may you find us where we are and meet us there. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. 
Last fall, I was um, about 100% sure, as 100% sure as I can be, that I had an ear infection. And so I didn't want to go to the doctor. I didn't want to go to the ER. I wanted to go to the urgent care. And so uh, I stopped in at the Meyer on Clyde Park where there's the urgent care, um, hoping for sort of a, a quick check-in and uh, a quick prescription so that I could get um, the eardrops and keep going. And so when I uh, got there, I checked in and uh, was quickly informed by the nurse tech that the, there was not a doctor present, but that um, a doctor would be meeting with me via iPad. And so I got checked in, and if you've ever been there, they kind of bring you into the secondary room, and they seat you down in a medical table, and the nurse tech wheels over this cart with an iPad on it, and it was one of the most fascinating experiences because while I was technically being cared for by someone on the other side of a screen, there was a real-life person taking my blood pressure, putting the oxygen thing on my finger, taking my pulse. When the doctor wanted to see what was going on in my ears, uh, the nurse tech had to grab the little thing and actually hold up the camera so that, you know, they could see it on the iPad. And, and so there was this strange experience of being cared for by someone in, the person, in person without that person actually being the one who was responsible for my health. And I think all of us have had this experience, maybe not in the medical uh, field, but we all recognize that uh, a lot of our lives now are, are, are online. We, we do Zoom meetings. Some of us spend an entire day online. I was talking to uh, a close acquaintance, and they had spent nine hours on Thursday teleconferencing with people all over the world. This is what they do almost every day of their life. Not in person, but online. And, and we do this all the time. We, we, with grandkids, we appreciate the FaceTime and we hit, we hit the camera and so we can see their faces. And we, we, we like it and we loathe it at the same time. And we live in this odd world where we, we both appreciate not being able to be together and still be together, and yet, if we're honest, truly miss being touched. I want to caveat here very clearly. Not all touch is good. We've been through Me Too and had enough Church Too moments to know that not all touch is equally good. And we still need to reckon with that. But we do find ourselves as Christians struggling in a society that continues to push us toward a screen recognizing that Christ calls us to be incarnate, a fancy word for in the flesh. 
in person. It's been fascinating to follow along with a lot of churches who dove into the online video world before COVID. And then all of the things that happened with COVID and the online world and the the video churches and the virtual meetings and all of the things that have come out of that. And, And one of the things that we've learned is that unless there is a real live flesh relationship, a virtual one doesn't happen. There has to be a real person with a real connection with something real going on where we can at some point, even if we never actually do, be together in person. There's a study out of Sweden, a study of studies really, that talked about the importance of touch in nursing situations. Here's a few highlights. Physical touch is important for human life and survival. Another one found that caring touch can be the determining factor in how a patient experiences their ICU environment. Through caring touch, a deeper relationship between healthcare professionals and patients can arise, which in turn increases the nurse's understanding of the patient's needs. In 2018, the New York Times published an article entitled The Importance of Medical Touch, where Caitlin Kelly wrote, it can show gentleness and compassion or carelessness, and incompetence. What do we do with touch? What do we do with what we know to be an important part of what it means to be a Christian? That when I see someone hurting, my instinct is to want to offer them an embrace, but not knowing where the line is or isn't, and how care will be received or not. And all of these questions hover, not just in 2023 in the United States, But these questions hover in first century Judaism as well, in chapter 8 of Matthew. How close can you get? When is touch appropriate or not? How do you let someone know that you care for them? And what, after all, is the most important thing? So if you have your Bible open, let's read together. When Jesus came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. Pay attention to that as we keep going because that first verse sets up how we understand and appreciate what's going on in what follows. When Jesus came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. A man from leprosy with leprosy, came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. 
Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately he was cleansed of his leprosy. Jesus said to him, see that you don't tell anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer the gift Moses commanded as a testimony to them. Then Jesus, or when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to ask for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. Jesus said to him, shall I come and heal him? The centurion replied, Lord, I don't deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed and said to those following him, Truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west, and they will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. The subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside and into the darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And Jesus said to the centurion, Go, let it be done just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that moment. When Jesus came into Peter's house, he saw Peter's mother-in-law lying in bed with a fever. He touched her hand and the fever left her. She got up and began to wait on him. When evening came, many who were demon-possessed were brought to him, and he drove out the spirits with a word and healed all the sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took up our infirmities and bore our diseases. This is the word of the Lord. As we noted, Jesus is up on the mountainside preaching the Sermon on the Mount, and he begins to go down to Capernaum. It's about a mile walk or so heading downhill, and the crowds are following him. And a leper throws himself at Jesus' feet. And the the verb here is the same verb that the Magi do to the child Jesus in Matthew chapter 2. Throwing themselves, kneeling down in worship. The royal language of paying homage. Now we know lepers are social outcasts. And so Jesus is presented with a conflicting situation. What does it mean to be in the presence of this person who should not be touched? And what unfolds is that the leper is healed, but if we look closely, what heals the leper? It's not Jesus' touch. Right, Jesus, when he first encounters the leper, reaches out his hand and touches him. There's this incredibly important thing that Matthew zeroes in on, that this person who is outcast, who is unclean religiously and socially, Jesus touches, interacts with, is in the presence of, calls attention to, and then asks, what do you want from me? And the leper, of course, says, I want to be healed. And Jesus heals him with the words, be cleaned. 
Matthew is fairly clear that it's not the touch that heals, although he could heal that way, but it's the words. The touch is there for something else, something more. And of course, the next story helps to to fill that out because Jesus encounters a centurion after the mile walk entering into Capernaum. We notice probably that some of the crowd has gone away, but this large crowd is still filing after him. And the centurion speaks first to Jesus. Notice that often this is the case in our experiences as well. That when we are confronted with situations where we're not quite sure what to do, they come to us. I was at a uh, baseball practice yesterday evening, and I was sitting in a chair reading a book, and somebody else's child was wandering around, and, and that child clearly had no social boundaries because they came right up to me and put their hand on my arm and looked at me like I was their best friend. So I gave him five. What do we do, right, when we're confronted with this? I didn't ask for it. I didn't seek it out. And, and so often Jesus has this too, right? Jesus has this with the centurion where he walks into the city. He's heading to Peter's house. We know the destination. That's where dinner is. That's where he's going to be sleeping for the night. And the centurion comes up and asks for help. And Jesus answer, or excuse me, Jesus' question to him in verse 7, it doesn't come across great in the NIV, but it's a rather emphatic, you want me to heal him? Right? Should I do this? You're speaking to me? It's almost as if Jesus is putting his hands up to say, I really would rather not involve myself in this situation. But the centurion presses on and, of course, says, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof. And we get from the exchange that Jesus is willing to go into the presence of the centurion and the servant and maybe even lay a hand on him, but doesn't have to. Because as we read in verse 13, it's the words of Jesus that bring about the healing in this instance. Here is a Roman soldier who is not a welcome guest in Galilee. It's not as if the Romans were stationed on every corner, but there was no mistake of who was actually in charge of this city, Capernaum. And now Jesus has not only interacted with a religious and ceremonial and socially unclean person, he's also interacted with a major outsider. Mother-in-law jokes aside, Jesus heals Peter's. I love my mother-in-law, by the way. But there, too, he crosses the gender boundary, maybe even an age boundary. And the sense that we get from that story is that the touching brings about the healing. 
Maybe he said something, but Matthew zeroes in on he touched her hand and the fever leaves her, almost as if the fever is transferred to him, although that's not quite right either. And now she is healed in order to wait on him and respond with thanks. Jesus in Matthew 5 through 7 is a preacher extraordinaire. And the Jesus we encounter there is a moral teacher who expresses what it means to live in fellowship with God and one another. And people all over the world, whether they are Christians or Muslims or Jews or Buddhists or others, will find words in the Sermon on the Mount and they will admire Jesus for them. But when Jesus leaves the mountainside and begins to work his way down, something new and fuller in his ministry occurs. And that is that Jesus looks at the brokenness of the world all around him and begins to insert himself into it in all kinds of ways to disrupt convention, disrupt the assumptions of what's okay in this situation and be more fully present. So let's be a little practical here. What does it mean to be more fully present for you and I in 2023 in, a, in society's convention? It may be that in a, normally in, a, in our world, when, when a situation of loss arises, we send a text. So to be more fully present and invested means to take that step further. Maybe social convention is to go to the visitation and simply shake the hand. And so maybe for you and I, it's to take that another step. What does it mean when we exit or when we exit off of 131 and we see the person on the side of the road who confronts us with the brokenness of the world around us what does it mean to see convention and to go one step further into it to be more fully present not necessarily touch but more fully incarnate how do we do this in our places of work? Where instead of relying on the easy, doing the hard work of being more fully engaged and available. We should be clear that this costs us because it costs Jesus to be incarnate. 
He took up our infirmities and bore our diseases. To be present with someone, to be fully engaged in their sorrow, to be fully engaged in their weakness, in their sickness, in their illness, in their grief, means that we step into it in a more personal and present way to be more fully in touch with them. And yet the truth of the matter is that the church, that is the greatest thing the church can offer. Someone might argue it is the only thing the church can offer. We cannot offer spectacle. We cannot offer a better concert. We cannot offer greater TED Talks. But we can offer people in the flesh, to love, to make food for, to call, to clean up leaves for, to talk to, to trim, snow blow, knock on the door and bring a piece of dessert. In the same New York Times article, Howard Brody, a primary care physician and the director of the Institute of Medical Humanities at the University of Texas said, quote, there is something in the human body that says we are hardwired to get better when we have a certain relationship. That is immensely profound. I want to say it again. There is something in the human body that says we are hardwired to get better when we have a certain relationship. The Jesus we meet in the Gospel of Matthew consistently is building relationships wherever he goes and whoever he is with and however those people are so that they can get better. Because it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. And you and I who have by the grace of God been granted a relationship with Jesus Christ through, through his death and his resurrection, have the opportunity to point people and express to people that very truth, that the great physician has come to make them well. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your son. We thank you for the healing ministry that he brought and brings. We struggle because he does not always heal us today in the time we would like. We know that some of us 
are sick and will not get better. Others of us have a thorn in the flesh that will not be removed. Some of us have come with loved ones who we pray desperately for every day that you would make them well, and we are still waiting. And yet we pray and we come in hope because we know that you are the good shepherd who will heal Maybe not in this life, but you will fully raise us to our resurrected bodies. And you also equip and empower us to be in this life and in this age, in the here and the now, those who know how important that certain relationship is, that relationship with you, and how it makes all the difference in the world. And so God, equip us to know how to be and point people to you. And to be there for one another. To have the strength to go the extra mile, the perseverance when we are weary, to be gracious and compassionate. We pray this all in the strong and holy name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.